You're listening to Bible Truth Feed, a podcast by Christadelphianvideo.org for Christadelphians and all those seeking the truth about the Bible message. Join us now as we present our latest episode. Social and Political Injustice. Hello and welcome to Bible Truth Feed, a podcast by Christadelphianvideo.org. So, this episode by Brother Nathan Walker. One's actions always need to be consistent, and prayer is powerful. God has a plan for worldwide problems, and the time is coming when there will be righteousness and justice in the earth. This episode examines some of the social and political issues that Christians, and particularly Christadelphians, avoid, and for the reasons why they are avoided. Social and political injustice, and, and, and what should our attitude to that be? What does the, the Bible have to say about that? Well, let's just think about what the, the context might be. What are the kind of things that we might find ourselves in, whether it be ourselves or whether there are people that we come across who have these situations, people we know of who find themselves in these situations. So, for instance, we might find that we live in a country where uh, Christian values or the values of God are, are not respected, where the general populace doesn't accept those values. And if we are trying to hold on to those values, we're trying to follow what the Bible says, then those two things um, become a problem, don't they? And you might have injustices that come as part of those two colliding with each other. That's one possibility. We might come across situations where what we might call freedoms or those rights of individuals that, that we have as, as being citizens of a particular country, they might be violated, they might be changed, that suddenly the government decides to get rid of some freedom or change something and, and we end up in a situation where we, what we were doing before becomes against the government. We might even find ourselves in situations where there are things out in society as a whole which are advocated, pushed, forced even, and uh, that goes against the principles of God that are laid out in the scripture. Um, and what do we do about those? We might, and there, there are people of course who do suffer persecution for what they believe. Just by being a Christian, believing in Jesus Christ, um, they can suffer persecution. And then there are people um, in countries like Iran, for instance, for whom this is a very real problem. So the question is, what, what should Christians do? You know, should we get involved in, in this? Should we try to fight back? Should we try to debate that? Should we intervene? Whether it be politically or socially or even militarily, should we get involved in these things? And the big question really at the end of the day is, can we change anything? Well, what I'd like you to do, first of all, is come with me to Matthew chapter 14. We're going to start by looking at the example of Jesus himself. So you could argue that Jesus, the Son of God, given power by God, could be in a position where he could have changed the world at a, you know, in a moment of time. He had the power to do it, and yet he doesn't. Let's have a look. Matthew chapter 14 um, and verses 13 down to 21. 
And, um, you know, those who know their Bibles well will recognize this as the story of the feeding of the 5,000. Okay. Now, we see in verse 14 that there's been lots of people coming around Jesus and they're following him about. And he sees this great multitude. He was moved with compassion toward them and he healed their sick. And when it was evening, his disciples came to him saying, this is a desert place and the time is now past. Send the multitude away that they may go into the villages and buy themselves victuals or things to eat. But Jesus said unto them, they need not depart. Give ye them to eat. Okay. So really the first point I want to make there is that Jesus is clearly a man of compassion. He clearly is concerned about their welfare. Okay. So that, you know, Jesus... He recognizes that there, there are sick people in this group. There are hungry people in this group. Okay, so he is concerned for their welfare. Um, now, as a man uh, with the power of God, he has the ability to provide help, and, and he does. He heals their sick, as we saw verse 14. And as we read on down, we, we, as, as we, if we know the story well, there, there are five loaves and there are two fishes, and Jesus gets all the people to sit down on the grass, verse 19. He takes the, the loaves, he thanks God for them, and that he distributes those, the loaves out to all of these people. And we're told, of course, in verse 21, that there were about 5,000 men beside women and children. So, of course, there was more than 5,000 in this group, actually. The point is that he only feeds this group of people. He doesn't use this opportunity to feed the whole world because there were lots of people who didn't have enough food, lots of people that were sick. There could have been hundreds of people in the area that could have done with Jesus' help. But he doesn't do that at this time. He just uses his power at this point with this group to heal their sick and to feed them. And if, so, so what I'm really saying is that is that it wasn't necessarily Jesus' um, uh, point at this stage in his life uh, and in his ministry to just solve the problems of the world. Um, that, that's a, a job he's going to have in the future without a shadow of a doubt. But at this point in time, it was just this group that he was concerned about. And if you, if you were to, it's up here on the screen, if you were to go to John chapter 6, and, and John chapter 6 is the record of the feeding of the 5,000 in the other gospel, in the gospel of John, okay? Um, it reads in verses 14 and 15 of that chapter, when the people saw the sign that he had done, they said, this is indeed the prophet who has come into the world, perceiving then that they were about to come and take him by force to make him a king, Jesus withdrew again to the mountain by himself. So even if Jesus felt he could change the world at that point and had the power to do so, the people should certainly thought he had the power to do so. But Jesus went away from the situation, went away from it. He chooses not to solve all the, to become king of the world at that time and to solve the problems that were around him at the time. Um, as he says in John chapter 18, verse 36, it's again there up on the screen. My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting that I might not be delivered over to the Jews. But my kingdom is not from this world. So Jesus recognizes that he has a job to do, but it's a limited job. 
the job of solving the problems of the world, that the kingdom that he, that he is going to come um, with in the future is a future time. Um, it was not right for him to become king and to solve their problems uh, in their entirety at that time. So even Jesus recognizes that there are problems. People do need feeding. People do need healing. But it wasn't at that time right for him to do that for everybody. Um, if you come to uh, the, uh, the letter to the Galatians, which is written by Paul, um, we, we could, you could turn there if, if you like, but uh, again, um, the verses um, I'm displaying up on the screen there, really just want to demonstrate that this is a similar attitude that is um, exp explained by the Apostle Paul. So Galatians chapter 5, he says, verse 22, the fruit of the Spirit. So he's contrasting that. If you would just scan your eyes back to verse 19, you'll see he's just talked about the works of the flesh, which are a, a very big uh, list of things that don't look very nice. Then he contrasts that with the fruit of the Spirit. So this is the, this is the things of God versus the things of, of men or the things of, of the flesh. But the fruit of the Spirit, he says, is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, sorry, meekness, temperance, against such there is no law, and they that are Christ's have crucified the flesh with the affections and lusts. I think that might be the ESV on the screen there. And, and so what Paul, writing here in this letter to the Ecclesia, uh, at Galatia was saying is that you need to put aside those works of the flesh and concentrate on these works of the spirit. Um, and we need to live our lives like the, that fruit of the spirit. And you look at all those, those things that, we're, that Paul is encouraging um, his followers and his readers uh, to be like. Um, there is nothing in there about fighting back. Um, there is nothing there about arguing. I mean, you can see actually anger and um, such things like that are actually listed in the previous list about things we should avoid. Okay? So all I'm trying to demonstrate is that in terms of how we might fight back about things that we think are wrong, actually the example that is given both by Jesus Christ and by Paul is that of living a peaceful and long-suffering uh, life um, in faith to God. And if you just turn with me to Romans chapter 12, let's just add to that a minute. Let's come to Romans chapter 12. Again, this is a similar point, but just really just to demonstrate that the, the, the Apostle Paul says the same in different places. So it's not just written to one particular uh, group of people. Here we are, another group of people being written to by the Apostle Paul. He says, verse 9 of uh, Romans chapter 12, Let love be without dissimulation, without hypocrisy. Abhor that which is evil, cleave to that which is good. Be kindly affectioned one to another with brotherly love, in honour preferring one another, not slothful in business, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord, rejoicing in hope, patient in tribulation, 
continuing instant in prayer, distributing to the necessity of saints, given to hospitality. Bless them which persecute you, bless and curse not. Rejoice with them that do rejoice and weep with them that weep. Be of the same mind one toward another. Mind not high things, but condescend to men of low estate. Be not wise in your own conceits. Recompense to no man evil for evil. Provide things honest in the sight of all men. If it be possible, as much as lieth in you, live peaceably with all men. Dearly beloved, avenge not yourselves, but rather give place unto wrath. For it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, saith the Lord. Therefore, if thine enemy hunger, feed him. If he thirst, give him drink. For in so doing, thou shalt heap coals of fire on his head. Be not overcome of evil, but overcome evil with good. Okay, so can you see then, in, in the teaching of the Apostle Paul, his argument is that it doesn't matter if we're being criticized, if we have an enemy, if somebody is, is being against us, we shouldn't be fighting back with them. We should actually be treating them in a completely different way, loving them um, as much as is in us to do so. And there's all those other things about how we should live our lives. Um, recompensing, he says, no man evil for evil. So no retaliation or doing the same thing back. Um, and so on. And he talks about brotherly love and peacefully living with all men. Those are the kind of attitudes that we're being asked to be as Christians by the Apostle Paul. And it's clear that's also the teaching of the Lord Jesus Christ. What about um, then our attitude to the governments and the rulers that are around us. If we, if we have that kind of attitude in our Christian lives, what should be our attitude? Well, you only, if we go into the next chapter in Romans, um, he says, right at the top of chapter 13, let every soul, every person, he says, be subject unto the higher powers, for there is no power but of God. The powers that be, so those, those that are in power in our country or in other countries, are ordained of God, he says. Whosoever therefore resisteth the power, resisteth the ordinance of God. And they that resist shall receive to themselves damnation. For rulers are not a terror to good works, but to the evil. Wilt thou then not be afraid of the power? Do that, that, do that which is good, and thou shalt have praise of the same. So our attitude to governments and those in authority, those in power, is, is in the same mindset. Um, that, we, that he's already talked about in the previous chapter, in chapter 12, that we should, uh, we recognize, of course, that those powers that there be, might, we might not agree with them, and they might cause things difficult for us, um, but they are ordained of God. The, the, the Lord God works in the world to bring about his purpose, and those people that are in power are in power because God has put them there, and therefore we should not resist that power and we need to be careful to make sure that our lives follow that pattern that he's explained already um, again in in the writing of peter 1 peter chapter 2 um, and at verse 13 similarly he says um, submit yourselves to every ordinance of man for the lord's sake whether it be to the king as supreme 
or unto governors and as unto them that are sent by him for the punishment of evildoers and for the praise of them that do well, for so is the will of God, that with well-doing ye may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men, as free and not using your liberty for a cloak of maliciousness, but as the servants of God. Honour all men, love the brotherhood, fear God, honour the king. Um, Yes, yeah, so carry on. Servants, he talks about servants and how they treat their masters. Um, uh, and then, of course, he uses the example of the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 21, even hereunto were ye called because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that ye should follow his steps. And, and he, he explains that Jesus Christ laid down his life in the face of enemies, in the face of those who disliked him. Um, he allowed the purpose of God to work itself through and for him to be hung upon that cross. Um, and that the purpose of that was, as he says in verse 24, to bear our sins in his own body. So he's using that example then of Jesus Christ as the one who gives him, has given himself for the world. Um, and therefore, that's the example for us, is to also treat the situation in the same way that Jesus treated um, his uh, enemies in that example. And, and Jesus suffered for that. There was a suffering as part of that process, um, but he went through with it. He endured it because it was the purpose of God. Um, I'd like us now to think about um, some um, other examples um, we aren't going to have a chance to look at all three of these, but we are going to look at the first one, uh, that of the example of Daniel. So we're going to read Daniel chapter 6 now. Mike, if that's all right, please. Prophecy through Daniel chapter 6. <coughs> it pleased Darius to set over the kingdom 120 princes, which should be over the whole kingdom. And over these three, over the, over these three presidents, of whom Daniel was first, that the princes might give accounts unto them, and the king should have no damage. Then this Daniel was preferred above the presidents and princes, because an excellent spirit was in him, and the king thought to set him over the whole realm. Then the presidents and princes sought to find occasion against Daniel concerning the kingdom, but they could, not, they could find none occasion nor fault, for as much as he was faithful, neither was there any error or fault found, there, found in him. Then said these men, We shall not find any occasion against this Daniel, except we find it against him concerning the law of his God. Then these presidents and princes assembled together to the king, and said thus unto him, King Darius, live for ever. All the presidents of the kingdom, the governors and the princes, the counsellors and the captains, have consulted together to establish a royal statute and to make a firm decree that whosoever shall ask a petition of any god or man for thirty days, save of thee, O king, he shall be cast into the den of lions. Now, O king, establish the decree and sign the writing that it be not changed according to the law of the Medes and Persians, which altereth not. Wherefore, King Darius signed the writing and the decree. Now when Daniel knew that the writing was signed, he went into his house, and his windows being open in his chamber toward Jerusalem, he kneeled upon his knees three times a day, and prayed, and gave thanks before his God, as he did aforetime. Then these men assembled, and found Daniel praying, and making supplication before his God. 
Then they came near and spake before the king concerning the king's decree. Hast thou not signed a decree that every man that shall ask a petition of any god or man within thirty days, save of thee, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions? The king answered and said, The thing is true, according to the law of the Medes and Persians, which altereth not. Then answered they and said before the king, That Daniel, which is of the children of the captivity of Judah, regardeth not thee, O king, nor the decree that thou hast signed, but maketh his petition three times a day. Then the king, when he heard these words, was sore displeased with himself, and set his heart on Daniel to deliver him. And he laboured till the going down of the sun to deliver him. Then these men assembled unto the king, and said unto the king, Know, O king, that the law of the Medes and Persians is, that no decree nor statute which the king establisheth may be changed. Then the king commanded, and they brought Daniel, and cast him into the den of lions. Now the king spake and said unto Daniel, Thy God, whom thou servest continually, he will deliver thee. And a stone was brought and laid upon the mouth of the den, and the king sealed it with his own signet, and with the signet of his lords, that the purpose might not be changed concerning Daniel. Then the king went to his palace and passed the night fasting. Neither were instruments of music brought before him, and his sleep went from him. Then the king arose very early in the morning and went in haste unto the den of lions. And when he came to the den, he cried with a lamentable voice unto Daniel. And the king spake and said to Daniel, O Daniel, servant of the living God, is thy God, whom thou servest continually, able to deliver thee from the lions? Then said Daniel unto the king, O king, live forever. My God hath sent his angel, and hath shut the lions' mouths, that they have not hurt me. For as much as before him innocency was found in me, and also before thee, O king, have I done no hurt? Then was the king exceeding glad for him, and commanded that they should take Daniel up out of the den. So Daniel was taken up out of the den, and no manner of hurt was found upon him, because he believed in his God. <coughs> and the king commanded, and they brought those men which had accused Daniel, and they cast them into the den of lions, them, their children, and their wives. And the lions had the mastery of them, and break all their bones in pieces or ever they came at the bottom of the den. Then King Darius wrote unto all people, nations and languages, that dwell in all the earth, Peace be multiplied unto you. I make a decree that in every dominion of my kingdom men tremble and fear before the God of Daniel. For he is the living God, and steadfast for ever, and his kingdom, that which shall not be destroyed, and his dominion shall be even unto the end. He delivereth and rescueth, and he worketh signs and wonders in heaven and in earth, who hath delivered Daniel from the power of the lions. So this Daniel prospered in the reign of Darius and in the reign of Cyrus the Persian. Um, as we read that through, it's clear, isn't it, that Daniel uh, uh, is put forward here in this chapter is clearly a very dedicated follower of God, isn't it? It says at the end of verse 23 that, that he believed in his God. So throughout this whole incident, he was a very firm believer in God, and he, and he was throughout the whole of this process. Now, 
if we were looking at this and thinking, isn't it dreadful? What's happened here is here is a man who is a follower of God and that these other princes in the kingdom disliked his, the way he lived his life and the way he followed his God so much that they, they had to find some way of, of getting rid of him. Um, and so as, as, we, as we noted there, the way they did that was to, um, was to create a law which the king then signed, and the law was that everybody had to bow down to the king and nobody else. The question, therefore, is, and it's there on, there on the screen, is if you were in that situation, what would you do? What would you do? If suddenly we were told that we could only bow down and worship our queen for 30 days and we couldn't worship anything else other than our queen, what would we do? Well, Dan, the example of Daniel is that he didn't change anything. He carried on worshiping his God as before time. It told us in verse 10, it says, now when Daniel knew that the writing was signed, he went into his house, his windows being opened in his chamber towards Jerusalem. He kneeled upon his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God as he did aforetime. Absolutely no change was there to his behavior and his worship of God. It doesn't matter about the law of the country because there's something more important to this, to this man, and that is the worship of his God. He believes in his God, and he knows his God will uh, be there for him. And he believes that. He has faith in that. And so um, it doesn't matter what happens. It doesn't matter what happened about the laws of the country. He chooses to carry on believing and worshiping his God. And as we saw, he ends up in the den of lions, which naturally speaking, would have been the end of him. But as we know, he was protected in that. Um, and uh, the next day, the king finds him still alive and brings him out of the den. And, and that whole incident proves to the king that the God of Israel, the God of Daniel, um, was indeed a, a very powerful God. Um, and, and there's more we could say about that chapter, but we won't. Really, the point is to look at the example of Daniel and see that he was a very dedicated follower of his God, and that did not change, even if the things changed around him. And that's, that's a, a great example for us, too. We won't look at it. it there probably isn't time, but if you were to go to the, the 11th chapter of Hebrews, you would see many, many examples in that chapter of people who are people of faith. And Daniel is mentioned in, in the people who suffered for their faith. Um, and and the, particularly there's this list towards the end of the book which says that lots of things happened to these people in, throughout the history um, of, the, of the people of Israel. And did they change their attitude to God if the circumstances around them changed? No. They stuck in their faith to their God and... And at the end, it says, you know, God, God actually has something for them. He has a reward for them for, they, for the fact that they stuck at their worship of God, irrespective of other things. And that's because of their faith. Um, and it's a really interesting one about the prophet Habakkuk. Um, again, we won't look at it, um, it, it because there isn't time. But the, Habakkuk it gets angry with God because... There is this situation that God says, I'm going to bring um, the, a, a nation, the Chaldeans, against the nation of Israel because of their wickedness. 
But Habakkuk says, well, th this nation you're going to bring to judge your people are more wicked than the wickedness of your people. Uh, you know, is it right to just bring more persecution just to deal with this bit of wickedness in your people? And, and he couldn't understand why God was working in that way. But in the end, he recognizes that God works in a particular way to bring about a particular outcome. And in, this, in that case, it needed this nation to come and do their job of punishing the people of Israel. Um, because what needed to come out the other end was um, a change of, uh, of attitude. Uh, and, and, and Habakkuk recognizes that that's the way God works. Um, and he, had to, he accepted that um, and, and allowed God to undertake his purpose with the nations, irrespective of what he thought about it. He thought it was, might have been a dreadful situation. And we might think the same. But God's purpose works out in the way God intends it to. So putting all that together then, the question is, what can we do? What, as Christians, can we do anything about it? Yes, is the answer. And, and uh, on the one hand, uh, we've got here, first of all, we can pray. We can pray for ourselves. We can pray to God to ask him for the strength to continue in our faith, even if the world around us is wicked. We can um, ask for for God to help others to bring about change in this world, to help the poor and needy. Yes, we can pray to God, to ask God to do that. There's nothing wrong with us praying about that. And we are encouraged uh, in other places in the Bible to do just that. I think it was there, wasn't it, in the letter of Peter um, about praying for those in authority um, to bring about change. And, 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 of course, we can do what we can to help others. There's nothing to stop us doing our, our bit for other people, whether it be in our families or whether it be in our communities. Um, there's nothing wrong with us doing what we can to help others. But actually, what's really important in all of this is to recognize, as Jesus did, as Daniel did, as all those other examples did, is that actually it's the eternal life of individuals, including ourselves, of course, is the, is the vital importance. N never mind the finite kingdoms of men that exist and what they do in their struggles and strife and their politics and their wars and their troubles. In the end, it's, it's the promise of God to men that eternal life can be given to those who stick the course and overcome the challenges of life. And, and it, we have to live as if we are citizens of God's kingdom, um, even though you know, God's kingdom isn't actually on this earth yet, but we can be ready for it. And we, we are encouraged to live as if we were part, uh, citizens of that kingdom now. And, and, and really, just to, just to round it off, let's have a look at Isaiah chapter 11, because we, we just need to make it clear that the God of the God of this earth, the God of Israel, the God of the Lord Jesus Christ, our God, actually has a plan to correct this world and for all of its troubles. And here, here is a, a vision of that in, in Isaiah 11. Um, here at the beginning of the chapter, it talks about 
a stem growing out of, Je of Jesse and a branch growing out of his roots and the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding. Here is a, a picture looking forward to the Lord Jesus Christ who was a descendant of Jesse, a descendant of King David um, and from uh, that family line would come uh, a man for, with whom God would work. Uh, and, and we see verse 4 that with righteousness shall he judge the poor and reprove with equity for the meek of the earth. He shall smite the earth with the rod of his mouth and with the breath of his lips shall he slay the wicked and righteousness shall be the girdle of his loins and faithfulness the girdle of his reins. So this kingdom, this, this position, this change that's, that is promised here, which we see elsewhere is in the context of this kingdom of God that God has promised, is going to be one that uh, righteousness and justice will be very clearly uh, the order of the day. And, and, and that will be done by the Lord Jesus Christ. That the, those who are wicked will be destroyed um, and righteousness will uh, reign throughout this earth. And, and there are pictures here about animals living together in harmony. So that's a, a change as well. Um, uh, and, and, and there's that wonderful uh, thing there, verse 10, where it says, in that day, this root of Jesse, which will stand for an ensign of the people, and to it shall the Gentiles seek, and his rest shall be glorious. And, 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 and the picture goes on about the bringing together of the people of Israel, which we haven't got time to look at. But we look forward to that day then, when God will bring a time of righteousness and justice. Um, and when, when the, as verse 9 says, the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. So there is a picture in the scriptures when, the day, when a day will come when justice, injustices will be solved by God through the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. Um, so although we, we, we can try and do our little bit here and there to help others, and the example really is that there's no, we, we're not encouraged to get involved in injustices, particularly uh, unless we can make a, a small change in our, to the people we know. Um, but actually there is a day when God will we'll sort it all out and we look forward to that uh, and we pray that we will all be there uh, ready and waiting for that day to come thank you Thank you for joining us. We hope you found the episode helpful. Don't forget, most of these episodes are also available as videos on our video channel, cdvideo.org. So head over and take a look. If you have any comments or questions or suggestions, please get in touch or leave us a voice message. We love to hear your feedback. You can email us at bt f at cdvideo.org If you enjoyed the episode, then please share it with others. Until next time, may God bless you in your studies and your walk towards God's kingdom. Amen.